Welcome to Gen Z Hoops. The Gen Z basketball coaching and sports business show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z host, John Hartafillis. What's wrong? What's going on? How much, boy? How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, with everything we're kind of wrapping up over the last few weeks, whether it's with the with the NBA season, the playoffs coming up around, and obviously the CBL season coming up really soon. I'm really excited to have you on and get to kind of talk about your career and obviously what, what you're doing now. No, I appreciate having me. It's been been fun to kind of watch from afar and listen to all the episodes and I'm just glad to be a part of it. Awesome. So just to start this show off, I thought it'd be really interesting to take it way back to when you were back in college in, in the mid 2000s. I thought it was super interesting looking at it. Normally, we don't talk a lot about majors, or what people did in school, because obviously the, the coaching stuff's more interesting. But I'm, I'm curious about the, the transition that you made. Uh, you were studying political science um, at the University of Hawaii, public policy administration at Western Oregon. Like what kind of made you after after studying that in school decide you want to go into coaching? Because that's, that's something that a lot of people face is they're, they're studying something in school that's not basketball and they find basketball in the end. So what did that look like for you? No, it's, it's uh, yeah, you're, you're taking me back a while, man. It's, uh, to look back on that, like, yeah, I remember you know, in college, I had a lot of interest for, for a lot of people who were playing college basketball at the Division One level, Division Two. I think we all had aspirations and hopes of playing professionally, right, making money. And, you know, for myself, that's kind of what I saw myself doing. And then I think afterwards, like life after basketball, whenever that was going to be, you know, I kind of had thought about, you know, going to law school, being a lawyer, getting to that side. And then, you know, the coaching thing was something, honestly, I just kind of fell into. I never, when I was playing, I wasn't, you know, I can't sit here and say that I was one of those players that saw the game and just say, someday I want to be a coach, right? And I just, to me, it was, I was so focused on the playing aspect. And then later down the road, when I kind of, I was, what, 26, 27, and just kind of fell into it. But yeah, to go back to college and like my major and kind of what I was, what the plan was at the time. It was more so maybe law school, maybe getting on like the sports agency side of it, but coaching was never in the cards for me when I was, you know, in my, my early 20s. And that's what's so interesting, right, is that it really wasn't in the cards for you, but it's something that, that you end up finding that passion for later down the line. And now, now it's, it's, it's everything you're doing. So I thought that was super cool. And you did bring up how you obviously wanted to play in, in the pros, and, and you did that um, a little bit, obviously, with, with the Idaho Stampede and some, and some other leagues. Uh, what did that maybe look like for you when, when you finished up with school, uh, taking that first step into what was then, then it was called the D-League, but it was a, pre, it was a pretty new concept and, and obviously a whole different league from what we're seeing now. No, it was it was awesome. I enjoyed you know, the, the process of it. It was it was difficult. I mean, like a lot of journeys are when you get to play. I mean, you quickly find out how hard it is to have make a career out of playing. And for myself, you know, as my college career kind of came to an end, I uh, was fortunate enough to where I got drafted in the D League by the Idaho Stampede um, back in 2008. And then just kind of from there, I also kind of bounced and did some stuff in the ABA, went back to the uh, the D League. 2010 and that was kind of around the point when I actually got released from from the team and outside of training camp it was something to me where I actually that's kind of how I fell into coaching I was kind of at that point where I was just okay do I want to continue I'd had some opportunities that came up over in Europe that kind of fell through last minute so it was just again it was just something like self-reflection time to where okay how much longer do I want to keep chasing this or, or is it time to start looking into moving on and, and I, at the time honestly I still didn't even know what moving on meant and you know it was more so for me it was going to be try to figure it out and, and we actually had a family friend of mine who 
was running a youth academy. Like, so it was fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. He, you know, he, he played at, at Oregon State. Uh, so he kind of knew the, the player coming to the end of his playing career. Dan, he just kind of approached me and said, hey, you know, I know you're kind of in the middle of trying to figure things out at the moment, but if you have any interest in, in helping out and running this program while, while you figure it out, we'd love to have you. I think the kids would love learning from you and being around it. And so I, I jumped at the opportunity. And honestly, John, like it was, again, like I, I'm sitting here because of that, to be honest with you. It's one of those things where I, the, I remember the first practice, I just fell in love with it. And the teaching component of it and working with kids at that age, I mean, they're just spongy, right? Like they want to learn anything and everything. And you get the that being around a team feeling like what someone like myself, I'm used to that from when I time I was little. And that was kind of the moment where it was just kind of like, okay, like I, I want to, this is something I want to do. And obviously, you know, again, fast forward a few years and, and now we're sitting here talking. Of course. And, and I would imagine, right, everyone wants to talk to you about what you're doing now in, in, in the G League and in, in the CBL. But like you mentioned, right, you got your start in, in, in those high school leagues and in, the, in those and those other things. And people kind of forget how many great coaches there are at those levels that if you could just talk a little about maybe, like you said, you, that first practice and realizing what you wanted to do uh, during that whole season. I mean, how much did you learn in such a short time that enabled you to do what you're doing now? Yeah, so I think to kind of backtrack a little bit more. So once I did the youth stuff back home in Oregon, you know, I, I kind of mentioned I figured this is what I want to make a career out of. So the competitive genes kind of kick in. And so I looked at maybe doing, try to go be a grad assistant, uh, high school coaching. I was kind of doing it at the time as well. Um, I ended up being fortunate where I was, you know, I ended up getting a head coaching job at a prep school when I was 28 years old. And that was so much fun in the sense, like I was running my own team at a young age. And you kind of just, again, an experience standpoint where a lot of people, everyone's paths are different. I've, I've met so many coaches who, whether they've done the, the graduates, you know, maybe they were a player and they did the graduate assistant or they were a manager, grad assistant. You've got coaches who have been overseas that are coaching like youth academy levels. I mean, all sorts of it, right? We've all seen it. And then, but for me, like I, I just, I was able to do things, fail, try things, fail, have some success and failure. Like I think, and again, you just, you're on the court and you're coaching and you're, you're having to build a roster at prep school. You're bringing, you know, you get, emails upon emails about kids that are interested and kids that need these opportunities and want to enhance the recruiting. So it was just honestly just like a crash course in, in coaching at such a young age. And now to, to go, come back to the, the question you asked about the coaching at those levels, we played against some of the best coaches that I've even still to this day have gone up against. I mean, Steve Smith at Oak Hill, like I think we played against him three times. You know, Lala Mears had a, a, you know, a bunch of different coaches. You know, Al Huss, who is now an assistant coach at Creighton. You know, so you, again, the high school level, there are some some very, very good coaches, you know, that I've seen and even on the AAU level. So and then to kind of take the next step forward for that, just being able to observe a lot of the college coaches that kind of came in and out of our, you know, our program to recruit our guys. And, you know, we were down in South Carolina, so I got a chance to go watch a lot of Frank Martin's practices, Brad Brownell's practices. And it's fun, man, because, again, like you said, no, it doesn't matter what the level is. There's some high-level coaches. For sure, and that's something that I think everyone has to really realize because if we just keep on focusing on coaches at the NBA level, there's you're going to miss out on a lot of really cool people. A lot of which I've spoken to, of course, that are at the G League and and, and all these other levels. Um, so but eventually though, you did get to that level coaching with the Raptors 905 team. How, how did that all come about? And uh, just obviously going going over to Canada, that's definitely a, an adjustment in and of itself, and, and acclimating to, to to everything over there. But kind of embracing yourself in now what were you were used to the D League, but right, right when you got there, it was already the G League. Yeah. So it was kind of, I mean, it was something I've always wanted to do. So when I, when I was at, when I was coaching the prep school in South Carolina, 
you know, kind of the natural progression that I thought was going to happen was eventually I was trying to get a college job because that was kind of where your, your network and the people you're around on a daily basis as far as, like I said, the recruiting aspect. You're sending kids off to, to colleges and they're coming in, like coaches are coming in. So you just start to kind of build a network and relationship. Those coaches had a chance to watch me actually coaching practices, coaching games. But in the back of my mind, I'm sure like a lot of people, the NBA was was the goal, and but not really having that natural path. Like I didn't have a dad, an uncle, or a grandpa who was you know played the NBA or was an executive. I just didn't have any like straight you know paths to to the NBA. So for me, it was something where you know, my brother, who I coached with at the prep school, we every summer we went to uh, the Las Vegas summer league, the NBA summer league. And at first, it kind of just started off as something just in, in July. We wanted to go out there and just kind of take it in and watch. And you start to meet some people. And so we enjoyed it. So we went back the next year. And that's kind of when the network, you start to kind of grow a little bit and you start to see, you know, maybe there are some opportunities that can maybe present themselves over the years. And then, honestly, it was ironic how it all came together. But so Jerry Stackhouse, who was a coach of the 905, he has his own AAU program that's ran out of Atlanta. And over the course of that time, we were down there and we ended up having like three or four kids that came out of his program. So I developed a pretty decent relationship with the director and the people that kind of ran and coached up. And when I decided to, get, to step away from the prep school, I asked those guys, say, hey, I'm going to be in Vegas. You know, would you mind connecting me with, with Stack? And, and the person that, that Stackhouse is, you know, I, I remember reaching out to him like the guy gave me his number. I reached out to him. And he doesn't even text me back. He calls me like within probably 10 minutes and tells me he's going to be having dinner at a restaurant there, like after the, their game and invited me to come join him. And so I went, remember there, I was nervous, uh, you know, went there and had a chance to sit down and have dinner. And we just, we just talked hoops for about an hour and a half. And, you know, he just kind of told me to stay in touch and any way he can help me, he would. And right then and there, like within those next few weeks, you put me in touch with a couple people. And just, again, just being helpful, right? Just try to far as help me with my career and what I was doing. And I'll, I remember like about three weeks after summer league is when the Raptors announced that he was going to be the new head coach, the 905. And I'm just reached out to congratulate him. You know, I didn't, I didn't really expect anything. Um, that first year, I just stayed in contact with him and just, you know, would reach out after after games and we would talk here and there. So when their season ended, they actually won the the, the D League championship that year. And I remember reaching out to him again in May, and he actually seemed, told me that he like I may have an opening on on my staff this upcoming year if you may be interested. And I'll never forget. He just said it's crap pay and it's behind the bench. And I said I don't care. And you know, so I just told him I said yeah I'd be more than interested. You know, keep me posted. And you know, ended up meeting him in Vegas again the following year during summer league interviewed which is a whole other funny story I can get into if you want me to but you know and then yeah I ended up landing the job and, and got up here well, thank you for going so in, in depth on on the, the build up to that and I definitely want to hear the interview story um I'm curious because it's something that of course um, listeners might go through or they, maybe they might think of and, and a lot of people might skip over it and just say okay got the job these are my roles this is all, all that but I, I am curious uh, what, what kind of went down there yeah so you know, so when I went out there, it was, as, as I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably have had the experience of going out to summer league and you're just, you're just trying to meet people, right? You're trying to kind of get in front of people. And I always tell people, like, you know, try to build a genuine network. Like networking, as we all know, is a big part of, of this industry. And I was just, you know, if you can, instead of meeting, you know, 50 people in, in a week or a weekend, 
try to meet five and really have, you know, legitimate, genuine conversations to where people get to know you, know what kind of a person you are. So I went out there and I, I knew I was going to interview at some point. I just didn't know when. Like summer, summer league is such a whirlwind because it's, it is, it's summer league. Like the teams all have games, they have practices, like they have responsibilities. And then in between, they're trying to figure out, you know, meeting people and interviewing for potential opportunities and positions. So I went out there, I just bought a one-way ticket and I was literally, I didn't have a ton of money at the time. And I was honestly hotel jumping. Like I would just try to find the ho cheapest hotel each night and I would stay there and just kind of wait and then until he told me which day you know I was going to have the interview and the interview was he told me gave me a heads up before and it was going to be kind of two-part he wanted to observe me working out some pros that they were down there and so again I think it was probably like four or five days I've been down there and he finally texted me and said hey we're you know we're on for one o'clock tomorrow and you know, we're going to be at the uh Thomas and Mac the practice facility for UNLV so now I'm okay. I know the time. I know what I'm supposed to be doing now. I'm like really planning out and preparing this workout. You know, up all night, can't sleep, and going for the workout at one o'clock. And we get started. I'm you know going to speak with him, meet the guys I want to work out, and we just get started with the workout. And we're probably I don't know, ten minutes into the workout map, and all of a sudden the women's team for UNLV walks into the practice gym. And they're looking around and like we we're on there using the court and they said like we have practice and you guys have to go and so they kick us out of the gym and i'm in the middle of trying to interview for a, a you know assistant coaching job in the g league and they just kicked us out of the gym so now i'm thinking okay like we go to me and he's like all right we'll try to set something up here in the next few days now mind you he didn't know that i i can't stay down here that much longer i'm kind of running out of money here and so he goes into the to the arena the raptors had a game like their summer team was playing next and now remember, they just come off winning the championship. So he's doing interviews on NBA TV, and I'm just trying to track him down just to have a conversation. So I text him, and I remember like that last night, my brother flew in um, to just kind of come hang out with me for a couple of days. And we decided it was the last night we're going to be down there. And so we just said, you know what, like we're going to stay at the Wynn. It's one of our favorite hotels. So we stay there, and I text Stack, and I said, hey, Sorry, or, you know, wish we could, this could have gone a little better. Um, let me know if you want to meet up and grab dinner or something later on. Well, he sees me across the gym and texts me and kind of motions like that his phone is dead. Like, like, I'll see you back at the hotel. So at this point, I'm thinking there's no way, man. Like, I just, this opportunity is gone. It's dead. Like, there's no way that he's going to like reach out to me, reschedule and stuff. So his phone's dead. We go back to the hotel. I'm borderline depressed because I just feel like I just, you know, lost an opportunity of a lifetime and again try to reach out to him nothing 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 and at about 10 30 that night i'm walking through the hotel and i, I cross paths with him he's coming in like from when you know from dinner and he and you know, I, I see him and he's like hey and he's like you want to go grab a drink <laughs> absolutely so we finally go we sit down and we we talked for like an hour and just started talking he was you know interviewing me asking questions and that was it man like and he kind of texted me he's like look i'm gonna be in touch uh, we'll get you out to Toronto so you can meet with the front office and it ended up working out, but there was a, there was a while, man. I thought it was, it wasn't going to happen. And that's incredible. And just thinking about the, the back and forth and, and, and putting ourselves kind of in, in, in your mind and what kind of what you were thinking through this whole thing, because that, that's something that, that obviously is the real situation where someone, you might be networking with someone and their phone might die. You, you can't control that. Um, but obviously how, how you, how you reacted and how you kept that relationship going and, and, now, now we're, you know, we're, we're having this conversation all these years later. It's pretty cool kind of reminiscing and thinking about that. And, and obviously everything you do with the Raptors is, is, is super cool. I, I imagine from the start, you were really enjoying it, but how did your role kind of change within the organization kind of over the course of the last few years? I'm, I'm sure it, it's kept on continuously evolving. 
Yeah, it's been, you know, obviously working for the the Raptors organization has been a huge blessing and getting my start with, with Stack, like I was kind of you know, newer to the professional game, especially around the NBA and the G League specifically. And at first it was pretty much more of a player development role. So it was just like a lot of on-court time with the players. Kind of as the year progressed, he started giving me more responsibilities. So then I started doing some of our scouts and then I was starting to do a lot of our offensive breakdown stuff for him, deep, you know, defensive things. That year was just kind of, I was just really cutting my teeth and learning the league, right? Learning, learning the nuances, the ins and outs, the terminology, and just trying to grow as much as I could. You know, that year was the only year that I got a chance to work with him. He moved on, ended up going off, um, you know, to Memphis. And then uh, Jamma and Malalela uh, took over for the 905. And then again, year to year, just kind of grew. And that year was fun because now as he took over, like bringing in a new staff, and I was a holdover, so I was able to stay on. Then he kind of divvied up the responsibilities. And so now he kind of rotated us through, you know, our, our areas where it was offense, defense, special teams, and then our player development. So at that point, now I'm getting a chance to, you know, run those all those areas for a certain amount of time. I think we did it was like six or eight games and we were we would rotate. So then there now, now you're on the practice court and you're installing the offense or you're doing defensive adjustments from game to game. Um, and then moving on to where my third year, I actually had a lot of the, the player development responsibility from the Raptors and it was now handed down to me where I was kind of monitoring and, and really you know, taking the lead on the development with our two-way guys and the assignment guys. So any pretty much any player that went back and forth uh, for the Raptors, like I was very hands-on and kind of in control of that and was communicating with, you know, Bobby Webster and, and Dan Tolzman or the head coach and the staff as far as just kind of what those guys' development looked like, what specifically they wanted us to do when these guys would be sent down. So yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I mean, looking back from year to year, more responsibilities have been kind of, you know, thrown on my plate. And, and I've enjoyed it. I mean, it's just it's everything you want as a coach to continue to, to develop. And, and, and for me, it's, it's been a great you know, situation. Well, of course, I'd imagine you'd, you've learned so much through, the, through all these different roles as an assistant coach, right? Doing all the, wearing all these different hats and doing so many different things. And it's definitely prepared you for this other coach opportunity that you're doing right now. I, I mean, I head coach in the CBL with the Hamilton Honey Badgers, right? That's got to be a lot of fun. And I'm sure uh, the work with the 905 as an assistant only further prepared you to be, to be a great head coach. But before we get into all that stuff, what, what kind of got you to the CBL, another Canadian league? So it's kind of right there in that, in that same area as the, as the 905, but definitely a whole different world from the G League. Yeah, and I, and I think it goes back to, you know, talking about like kind of my path and how we touched on earlier, everyone's path is different. And I think, you know, when I was 28 years old, I, I know I wanted, you know, I wanted to be in the NBA or I wanted to be a Division One assistant. And I'm sure there's listeners listening right now that they've kind of, you know, they have their path kind of mapped out. And in coaching, you know, you've got to adapt, adjust and you know, opportunities kind of present themselves really when you least expect it. And you don't know, like I never, when I was coaching in South Carolina, I never thought that I'd be living in Toronto, Canada at all, yet alone for going on four years. So, but yeah, when I got here, you know, last, I guess it would have been what, November, December of 2019, you know, the opportunity presented itself to uh, potentially becoming the head coach of the Hamilton Honey Badgers in the CBL, which at that time had just finished up its first league and inaugural season. And, you know, the general manager, Jermaine Anderson, I had spent time with him the couple of summers previous, you know, when I was working with the Canadian national team and doing a lot of their stuff with working their guys out during the summer, their uh, junior and senior national, or national team players. 
And Jermaine was a, you know, again, he was a captain of the Canadian national team for a long time, played overseas for, I think, 13, 14 years. So he had just got named the general manager. And I remember he approached me and just said, hey, would you have any interest in, in you know, being the, the head coach? I said, man, like, absolutely. I just, my my thing was kind of trying to figure out what it worked with my contract with the Raptors. The time frame was perfect because the league, you know, exists during the summer months. And, but again, it just kind of, people that I had met, people who had been around me had seen me kind of work. And then he ends up getting the general manager job. And then the other thing too, is just, it worked out because Hamilton is about 40 minutes outside of Toronto. So not having to relocate, not having to move and to be able to kind of do both was again, just, I didn't expect it. You kind of call it dumb luck or irony, but it just, again, the cards kind of fell in place to where I was able to, to get involved. It's it's so cool. right? thinking about all that. And, and there's definitely so many new things happening in the CBL that, that make that a, a much different experience than, than the NBA G League or any, or any other league maybe in the world. Uh, one of those things being the Elam ending and whether it's through having Commissioner Morial on the show um, or, or Nick Elam himself, the creator of the Elam ending, uh, I'm, I'm really curious into diving into that and, and maybe what the coolest things maybe you saw um, with that rules like that maybe uh, kind of changing things up for you as a head coach. I remember when we got the call, you know, about, you know, from the, like our team president, obviously was there involved in the, in the league meetings and he kind of presented, he said, Hey, listen, just to give you a heads up, this is kind of what we're talking about. It's, it's really gaining a lot of momentum. You know, Mike Morelli, the commissioner, he was really on board with it just from the excitement standpoint, the fans and, you know, your first instinct as a coach is like, no way. Again, our natural tendencies is, you know, people have been involved in basketball since a very young age. And if you're in coaching, you like things the way they are. You don't like change necessarily. But the more we kind of talked about it, and you know, I remember watching the TBT tournament at some because again, we had our summer series was in in July, and about two weeks prior was the, the TBT tournament was on, and we knew that's again that they were they implemented the Elam ending. But I wasn't on board with it. I didn't like it, and I think also too selfishly, it was you know this is the first my first professional head coach experience. And as we all know, when you're preparing as a coach, like you always end a game situations, right? Like, hey, you're down, you're down three with four seconds left and decide out of bounds play. You now you basically wipe out your entire end of game strategy now because it changes. There's no clock. But as the more I started watching, you, you couldn't deny that it was the excitement factor was there. I mean, every game ends on a, on a buzzer beater, basically, in a game-winning shot. And so once I started diving into it, it becomes fun because now as a coach, you have to adjust your thinking. And now it kind of you have to think outside the box, which, again, anytime you get a chance to do that, I just think it makes you stronger as a coach because you're not sitting in this lane or having tunnel vision of like doing the same things over and over and over. And so you just, again, you're messing around with certain things. Would this work? Would this work? Or you know, maybe this doesn't work. And then obviously in the, in the first season we did it, there was some things that, that worked and there was a lot of things that didn't work. But now going into year two, it's definitely a focal point because it, it, it makes or breaks so many games. And it's interesting, man. It's, it's definitely different. But I, I, you know, going into year two, I can now say I'm, I'm a fan of it. Oh, it's all, it's incredible thinking about that. And of course, no one, no one likes uh, such a drastic change like that, especially with something like basketball, which, to, you know, to all of us, we, we hold it so near and dear exactly you know, the way James Naismith made it. But at some point, right, it is interesting to look at how changes could sometimes potentially make it better, more enjoyable and, and just, and just add to the overall excitement of the game. Just in, in terms of thinking about just the, the Seabell, the experience of the Seabell as a whole, it's one of those leagues that was able to do, do really well during the pandemic. And I'm curious maybe what that was like for you being a head coach, not just uh, with the Elon Manning coming around, but also in the, in the midst of a global pandemic, maybe what that, that, that was like for you um, in, in a league in Canada with so much stuff going on. 
yeah, it was tough. You know, I remember telling quite a few people it's, you know, it's hard enough when you become a head coach for the first time, you know, at any level. And, you know, for me, getting a chance to be a head coach in the CBL and, you know, as we all know, in March, the world kind of came to a halt and stop. And then we didn't know what was going to happen. But it doesn't mean you stop working. Right? And so I think for me, it was just, OK, we we were doing the staff meetings on Zoom, which I know a, a lot of coaches at every level were doing, and, you know, trying to navigate and trying to figure out, you know, different ways to keep everyone engaged. So it was tough. Like it was just, it wasn't a unique first start at, at being a head coach. And, you know, you don't get a chance to just be in the gym with your guys and, and meet in person with your staff. And the CBO was, it got pushed back on a, a couple different occasions to where they finally announced it was going to be a summer series um, and more of a tournament format. But yeah, I mean, you kind of, again, you want to talk about a crash course in, in, in trying to adapt in, in you know crisis management and all these different areas that was it and again it's just something to where once you know we kind of come up from for air at the end of you know august when it was all over with you know your complete your experience and your 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 view and take on on coaching or um, organizational culture and all these different things it's completely different because of what you went through and i think just like anything else you're going to learn and grow from your experiences and that was that was a very unique one for sure Definitely uh, no better way, kind of like you say, getting a crash course of what it's like to be a head coach in the, in the craziest situation possible. You're definitely uh, more than prepared for, for year two. Going into year two, obviously, most most listeners to this show are, are in the States, so they might not be as familiar with the CBL. I'm kind of curious as to what you would maybe say to so, uh, someone in, in, in the States or someone that's not um, as familiar with the CBL as to why they should check out the Hamilton Honey Badgers in, in, in your second year. What what what, what about the CBL um, and, and all the interesting things happening there is and, and, and what makes it unique from... Uh, the NBA, which everyone in the States is just so fixated on, maybe, maybe why, why should they kind of open their horizons and see different kinds of basketball? Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. I think, you know, for me, the first thing I would say is it's a legitimate league as far as the, the talent and level of play. And I think, you know, the first thing, even for myself, I've, I've you know been on record saying before, I remember when the league first started, you know, I'm from the States myself, being from Oregon and, you know, a, a new kind of a, a lower level professional league. You're, you're skeptical because, you you know, we see these things all the time kind of trying to pop up in the States and then they can never sustain themselves because either, either the infrastructure is not good, the financial backing is not there or whatever the case may be is they kind of come and go. And when this first kind of came up, I remember thinking, OK, we'll see. But I didn't I didn't think it was going to be this, like especially this soon. And I remember year one going to a game and I was blown away. I mean, I think just the. Uh, one, the level of play for a first-year professional league was pretty good. The fan experience, the interaction, the setup, I mean, the, the arenas that they play in, and they're all, you know, I mean, some of them are bigger than most G League arenas. So, it, to me, that was, again, like, it's you, you saw the legitimacy of it right away. And then last year in the summer series, it's one of those things where, I don't know, you feel weird kind of saying it, but it was almost like COVID was a blessing on the league's behalf because everything was shut down and you had so many guys that weren't playing anywhere now it's the they, they jumped the opportunity so like last year we had Brante weber was was our point guard like there was you know in the year two of a league like that probably never ever you to get a guy with nba experience who played in the euro league who's you know was defensive player of the year in his conference at vcu and and so to me it was just kind of now that all kind of came together and then also they had they broadcasted a good portion of their games nationally on on tv here in canada and so now i think going into year two for me in year three of the league you know you can see the legitimacy is there the talent level the players that are coming in and signed into this league already for for each respective team 
is really high. I mean, there's guys, again, with NBA experience, guys that have played in the G League for, you know, a, a while, played high or playing high level, like first division Europe over in, in Germany, Spain, France. And so, again, you're seeing the talent is there. So it's one, just from watching it, like I think it's appealing, it's entertaining. And I think, too, just the, the appeal of it's in the summer, right, like to where, you know, yes, the Olympics are going on this summer for, for a short while. But I think in the summer, anytime you get a chance to see high level basketball, it's always it's fun because, you know, I, I don't know how many baseball fans are on here. But, you know, again, just we don't get a chance to watch basketball in the summertime. It's very rare. And also, too, like the last thing I would say to me, it's it's entertaining. And I think it's fascinating to watch guys at this level who are either on the cusp of really breaking through potentially maybe at the NBA level maybe have been in the NBA and whether it was an injury that set them back or something and now trying to get back. Like I know like right off the top of my head, there's like four or five guys uh, around the league that'll be, or should, that will be in the league this year that are, are kind of coming from that background, right? Where they have NBA experience and they're trying to kind of get back. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a part of it for a reason. I, I'm very high on, on the level of play, the people that are running this thing. And but yeah, if anybody who doesn't know about it, I, I highly recommend you make it part of your, your summer viewership. Love that. And to echo that statement, a great way to make, make, make it a part of your, what you're watching this summer, just to expand your mind and, and watch basketball. Because if everyone watching the show, right, should theoretically love basketball, uh, what better way to really just expand that to watching other leagues instead of just fixating on one? Uh, definitely something I think everyone can kind of learn from and, and take a lot from. Uh, Coach Smith, I mean, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show and, and, and kind of going through all this stuff. I mean, it was it was great hearing about just obviously how you got to where you are, but also what you're doing uh, here, both in, in two different leagues, the G League, which is growing at an at at exponential rate. And then the CBL, which of course everyone knows is growing even, even faster almost um, start, starting uh, so, so recently. So thank you so much for joining the show and, and sharing all these, all these nuggets on, 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 on how all this came to be. John, I appreciate it, man. And also, too, a little shout out to you, you know, everything you're doing for people involved in basketball like myself. Uh, keep up the great work, man. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops. You can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.